please be seated. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 18. The reading begins at verse 16 today. We begin that section of Abraham's life where the city of Sodom and Gomorrah begin to intrude upon our father's life and the Lord in his perfect will and excellent purposes has something special for us to see and what he's doing with Abraham and how Abraham becomes a revelation to us of the ministry of Jesus Christ particularly in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for your help now on the occasion of your word being read and preached. Oh Lord, we are in great need of help. Help us to understand. Help us to indeed, Lord, believe. Help us to be reformed in our private and personal lives by what we have heard. Oh Lord, do these things by your Holy Spirit for the sake of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, who has purchased us by blood and body. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 18, verse 16, to the end of the chapter. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, 
I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let the, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is God's word. Beloved, in our passage this morning, the Lord God draws his servant Abraham into a ministry of priestly intercession on behalf of both the wicked and the righteous. The intercession Abraham makes before God for the wicked is that they might be spared from from God's destroying judgment because of righteous people who live among them. Abraham wants the wicked, who are many, to benefit from the righteous, who are few. And the intercession Abraham makes before God for the righteous is that they might not be swept away in the destroying judgment which God owes to the wicked. Abraham wants the righteous, who are few, to be protected, though they are surrounded by the wicked, who are many. Those are the main planks of his intercessory argument before the Lord in this passage. Now what is most important about this whole scene is that the Lord uses Abraham to answer a huge question for the church. What will determine God's treatment of the whole human community? Must God's treatment of man be determined by the evil record of the many? Or can it be determined by the righteous record of the few? The answer to this huge question is so important, it gets stated over and over and over again in our text, in verses 22 through 32, where it sounds like Abraham is negotiating with God. Abraham gets God to give the same answer six different times in verses 22 through 32. The answer gets pounded into us like a nail getting struck by a hammer. And what is the answer? The righteous record of the few can determine God's treatment of the many, even when the many are wicked. That's the answer. God's love of righteousness is so great, even righteousness in a few people can spare many wicked people from destruction. This is what we learn here. And this is why one of the best things you can do for your neighbors, for your city, for your country, for the nations, is to live unto God a righteous life. God is willing to spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. That is how dominant God's will is to save 
over his will to punish. As the Lord said through Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 33, 11. Are you like God in that way? I confess, beloved, I, I think you may too. I know that my heart has taken too much pleasure at times in the downfall of the wicked. It is that old Adam part of my heart that is unlike God. And if God were actually more like me in that way, I would have no salvation and my conscience would either be hardened and dead or burning in fire with guilt. Now what we really must see in all of this is how God pulls Abraham into this role of intercessor. The priest, Abraham, priest of Sodom. God wants Abraham to put on like a garment the heavenly heart, the heavenly mind, the heavenly will, and become an earthly advocate for the wicked to be spared and be led to faith and repentance. And there is a very important reason God wants to use Abraham this way. Remember, Abraham has been called out of the world so that he and his offspring will be a blessing to the nations. Through Adam, the first man, all the nations of the earth were cursed because of the curse of sin. But through Abraham, a man of grace, all those same nations will be blessed. Not every single individual, but people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be blessed through not a man of works like Adam the first, but through a man of grace like Abraham. The Lord promised all of this back in Genesis 12 when he first called Abram out of idolatry. Now the Lord says it again in our passage today, verse 17 and 18, speaking to the two angels that are walking beside him. If you recall from last week, there are two angels on the earth right here with the Lord visiting Abraham's tent. While speaking to the two angels walking beside him, the Lord says, I am not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do with Sodom because all the nations of the earth are to be blessed in Abraham. The Lord is saying to the angels, Abraham, Abraham has to know about Sodom. I have to tell him because Sodom is among the nations. They are Canaanite people. They're Gentiles. Abraham has to know because Abraham and his offspring have been called to bless the nations. So as we get to the end of verse 18, there should be this expectation in us that we are about to see in some way the blessing Abraham will be to the nations. And we are to see it in some relationship to Abraham and Sodom. And sure enough, we see it. And we see it especially in verses 22 through 32. The negotiation. Instead of urging the Lord to destroy Sodom, Abraham pleads with the Lord to spare Sodom. Now that word spare appears twice 
in verses 22 through 32. And the New American Standard Bible has a nice little footnote to tell us what the literal Hebrew is. It's forgive. Some Bible translations don't use the word spare there. They use the word forgive. Postpone your final judgment upon these people, Lord. That's what Abraham is asking. And he's, of course, also asking for his nephew Lot, who is righteous and living in Sodom, to not be swept away with the judgment that would fall on Sodom. Well, suddenly, we are seeing in Abraham that very heart, that very vocation, we are going to later see in his offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest of God, who comes to reconcile wicked sinners to God in heaven. We are seeing that now in Abraham. The life of Christ is being formed in this patriarch long before Christ is born of Mary because Abraham is already united to Christ in heaven who has not yet taken to himself a body and reasonable soul, but he has, yet, he has already taken Abraham to himself. And so the priestly man who is presently the second, second person of the Trinity is filling up his servant Abraham with his ways, with his heart, with his vocation of priest. Now, let's understand something. When Abraham pleads for Sodom to be spared, he is not pleading that Sodom be spared so that wickedness could flourish in Sodom. Of course not. He pleads because he wants righteousness to flourish in Sodom. He wants righteousness to be an influence in Sodom. He wants righteousness to take root in Sodom. He wants righteousness to spread in Sodom, if, if at all possible. That's why he is pleading that they be spared. The church is learning something very important here. If we are indeed the children of Abraham, because we share his faith in Christ, then we ourselves must not cannot. I'm going to just go with cannot. We just cannot have a hostile attitude toward the wicked. Our desire will not be for all their trespasses to be counted against them so they get buried under the wrath of God. Now that may be what ends up happening to them. But that cannot be what our desire is for them. If we are the offspring of Abraham, through faith in Christ, then the gospel ambition of God's priestly people will be our ambition. Here's how Paul explains this gospel ambition that belongs to all of us as the priestly people of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19 In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So our attitude toward the wicked will not be hostility. Because if hostility toward the wicked had its full reward, if hostility toward the wicked had its full wish, even the elect would be damned, if that could be possible. 
For we believers have been called from out of the wicked ourselves. But obviously, there are not rose-colored glasses to be be wearing here. Abraham calls them the wicked. Abraham never disputes that they deserve divine judgment. But he prays that they might be spared. It is, of course, right to lament the ways of the wicked, isn't it? We are, in fact, urged to do this in the very text before us. In verse 20, the Lord speaks of the outcry against Sodom. In verse 21, he speaks of the outcry that has come to me. If we do not cry out against the wicked, it is because we belong to the wicked. Beloved, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer in public and private worship, you are crying out against the wicked unto God. Deliver us from evil, you pray. Thy kingdom come, you pray. It is right to cry out to God because of the pain and oppression and abuse of the wicked. But it is wrong to have a hostility towards the wicked. Now, before we get to Abraham's negotiation with God in 22 through 32, I, I want to look one step closer at Abraham's priestly service to the nations. In in verse 21, the Lord tells Abraham that he, the Lord, is about to go down to see. To go down to see. That little phrase, go down to see, is God's way of expressing that whatever judgment shall follow, it will be perfectly just. Nothing rash is about to be done. Nothing careless is about to be done. God is just. He takes a full accounting of the situation and of a person before he ever executes judgment. He is not biased. He is not unfair. And he is giving for our benefit this expression that is really about careful investigation for the purposes of just reckoning. So later, when King Jehoshaphat, years later, installs judges all throughout Judah, he says to the judges, Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality or taking of bribes. Second Chronicles 19.7 All that Jehoshaphat has just said to the judges about God's judgment there is stuffed into that little phrase in chapter 18, verse 21. I will go down to see. Now the Lord said something like this before. He said something like this before in the book of Genesis, in the history of the world. Before the Lord called Abram out of Ur, where Abram was living as an idolater with his father, Terah, before that, wicked men on the earth were building a tower. Do you know about this tower? In Genesis 11, the wicked men of earth started to build a tower, the Tower of Babel, in the land of Shinar. They wanted to secure a future for themselves without God, and they wanted to create their own religion without the Creator God. 
So they're building this tower that they hope will pierce into the heavens so they can unite by their own works heaven and earth. So in Genesis 11, verse 7, it says, the Lord came down to see. Now the Lord has perfect eyesight. He can see anything in the dark. He can see anything from on the other side of the universe to one side of the universe. What he's giving to us in Genesis 11:7 is this exact same expression of I'm going down to give an exhaustive investigatory account before judicial reckoning takes place. Meaning the Lord came down before executing infallible justice and he did execute infallible justice on the nations at the Tower of Babel. He confused their language and dispersed them over the face of all the earth. But here's the key. On that day of judgment at Babel, there was no righteous priest on the earth to intercede. Abraham had not yet been called. But now, years later, there is a priest, a man of grace. There is a priest to intercede for Sodom. Right before our eyes, the nations of the earth are beginning to benefit from the covenant God has created with Adam, excuse me, with Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So yes, Sodom in the end, Sodom in the end needed to be destroyed. But listen to Genesis 19, 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. The priestly intercession of Abraham is remembered by the Lord to the deliverance of Lot. That's the priestly work of Abraham in the midst of judgment. The new creation is starting to unfold before the whole church and the history of man through this man of grace, Abraham, whose offspring will be the Lord Jesus Christ. So because Abraham will serve, <clears throat> will serve the nations as a priestly intercessor, because this is his calling, he must have two things, and we see that he does. He must have the fear of God, and he must have the mind of God. Having the fear of God means he has a personal, re- a personal re- righteousness that is pleasing to God. And to have the mind of God means he has a gospel instinct to use that righteousness to bring blessing to others. That Abraham has the fear of God is revealed in verse 19, where it says, Abraham commands his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. He does this because he has been chosen, which it says right at the beginning of verse 19. Abraham knows that God chose him for salvation to conform him into God's image, to walk in the fear of God. Hebrews 12, 14 speaks of the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Abraham has that holiness. And so will all his true offspring. And who are all Abraham's true offspring? They are all who share his faith, not his blood. And all who share his faith will have the same holiness that he is teaching and commanding the households of his children. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, Psalm 25, 14. And he makes known to them his covenant. So Abraham has that first requirement of a priest. He also has the second, the mind of God. Abraham thinks like God. He thinks like God. And this is revealed in verses 22 and 23. In the phrases, Abraham stood before the Lord and Abraham drew near to God. Both of those expressions, those phrases, stood before, drew near to, both of those are expressions we find later in the Old Testament describing the actions of the priests. Priests serve in the presence of the Lord. They are like a bridge. They are grounded both in the Lord and grounded in man. They represent the interest of holy God to man and they represent the interest of fallen sinful man to God. There's no way for the fallen creature to be reconciled to the almighty creator without a priest. But more specifically, Abraham shows the kind of bridge he is ready to be. Having the seeds of righteousness in his own life because he was chosen by God, not being among the wicked any longer himself, he uses his justified and sanctified righteousness to draw near to God and intercede for others. The Pharisees, who had a self-righteousness, they did not intercede for the nations. They simply woke up every day and polished and buffed their self-righteousness so they could see each other's buffing and polishing and pat each other on the back while people all around them were in the darkness and languishing under the weight of sin. But Abraham, a true priest, because he is united to the heavenly priest who's coming, Jesus, who for us has come, he has the mind of God. He knows what righteousness is for. It's to reconcile men to God. We see a beautiful description of a priest in one of the great priests of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Aaron, Moses' brother. It says in Numbers 1648 that Aaron stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. The Lord had sent out a judgment, and Aaron stands in the breach, the bridge, and he, and he sees the plague stopped. Why did Aaron take that step, quite literally, to stand between the dead and the living? Well, the same reason that Abram takes a step towards the Lord. Because he thinks like the Lord thinks. Let's, let's bring mercy and not judgment. Let's bring compassion and not wrath. The day of wrath will come, but now is the day of God's mercy. 
Abraham remembers that he himself was called out of a city like Sodom. Abraham lived in Ur. There were not ten righteous men in Ur. And the Lord came and called Abram anyway, out of Ur, when Abram was up to his gills with idolatry, trying to secure his future, just like the men at the Tower of Babel, trying to create a religion by his own works, giving to gods who were no gods at all some kind of service, some fruits, some vegetables, so that he would prosper. He was dead in sin, living in a land of deep darkness. The Lord called him. Who interceded for Abraham when he was an idolater in Ur? His heavenly priest, the eternal son, who had not yet been born of Mary. He interceded. And the Lord came and called this man out of sin. Abram knows that his whole Christian life can be described as a turtle on a fence post. You don't get there by yourself. Somebody lifted them up out of the mire. Now don't start overthinking that because it might sound unsafe for the turtle. Now we are on to 22 through 32 briefly because we have much more to come in chapter 19. In 22 through 32, Abraham appears to be negotiating with the Lord. And you heard it when we read it. Lord, will you spare this city if you find 50 righteous? And he drops to 45. Then he drops to 40. And then he starts dropping by tens, he seems to be gaining in his confidence. Even in this negotiated text, Abraham reveals to us what a true priest is and primes our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Look what he does. Abram shows in this text that he is willing to lay down his life in the intercession for sinners. If we string together Abraham's four statements where he confesses how unworthy he is to live in the presence of the Almighty God with whom he seems to be bargaining, if we string together his four statements where he declares his unworthiness to still be alive and asking these questions. Here's what we get out of his mouth. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. You see what Abraham knows he is doing he is risking his life he is risking his life he is prepared to perhaps die to rescue those who have no righteousness of their own and to rescue lot who is of the covenant and quite a mess as we shall see
Beloved, this reminds us of what a priest is. A priest is one who sacrifices to reconcile, who sacrifices to intercede. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Read the little scripture that's in our worship order this morning under God's tithes and our offerings. It says there, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's Hebrews 13, 13, 16. But then it adds 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood formed after our great high priest Jesus Christ will be a people who have upon their very lives a spirit of sacrifice where we will give of ourselves to see a sinner reconciled to God. We will, we will get up a little earlier and learn to master the discipline of prayer. We will make sure we get to the public worship of God, even though it's going to be a little bit difficult. We will do all sorts of things. We will go talk to the person that nobody wants to talk to because he or she is the pariah of the office. We will do all sorts of sacrificial things to see them reconciled to God if it pleases him. Why? Because somebody doing something sacrificial to reconcile us to God is the greatest possession we own. It is the gospel of our salvation. How could we diminish it and not extend it through our own lives? Abraham knows that he deserves to die for contesting with the Lord as he is. But the Lord is pleased to receive this contestation. Why? Because the Lord has put upon his servant's life the very spirit of your great high priest, Jesus Christ. And he's showing the church centuries, millennia, two millennia before Jesus was going to be born, he's showing the church through Abraham what our great high priest will be like. And that great high priest, Jesus, he will not just risk his life, he will give his life. For he is the full and final high priest that reconciles sinners to God. So Abraham's questions, as we come to conclusion here, as he goes through his negotiation, he first works on this question, could the righteousness of the few in a place, in a city, in a planet, could the righteousness of a few cause you, O oh God, to forgive the unrighteousness of the many, to postpone their day of wrath? Yes, is the answer. Then he works on this question, could the record of the righteous be applied in some way to the unrighteousness of the wicked? That's also been answered yes. For the Lord spares them, forgives them, in some capacity. And it makes 
the believer, look, what, what, have, I, what have I just read? Is there, is there something coming in the, in the future and history of the world? Is there something coming where the record of the righteous would be applied in some way to the unrighteousness of the wicked? Is that coming from the kingdom of God? It has come. Beloved, what is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, if it is not that? The record of the righteous being applied to the unrighteousness of the wicked. You probably noticed this. Abraham never goes and asks the final question. And because he never asked it, you might want to debate with me after whether it then is the final question. He never goes and asks, Lord, can you save the wicked by the righteousness of just one? Maybe Abram stops at 10 because Abram loses his nerve that it seems far too cheeky to ask the Lord to save the wicked on account of the righteousness of one. Maybe it sounds so wonderful that it would be almost blasphemous. But beloved, that is exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ declares. That you have been saved. You who were once men and women of Sodom. You who were once godless and wicked. You have been saved by the righteousness of one man. As Paul says it to the Corinthians, one has died, and that one has died for all. He speaks of the Lord Jesus. So as we leave this place, I urge you to remember that you yourself, if you're a Christian, you have been brought into the eternal blessedness of God. You have escaped the coming wrath because some glorious priest has gone further than Abraham. He did not risk his life, but Jesus gave his life. He did not uncover the gospel like Abraham did here, but he executed the gospel in his own body and blood. He did not just bring the principle to light as Abraham did here. Jesus brings the principle to reality and completion. Because you and I, beloved, we are described in the city of our birth this way. Do you not, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your great high priest died for you to deliver you out of your Sodom, out of your Gomorrah, out of the world, out of your wickedness. He now owns you and he then releases you into the world to imitate his priestly ways. What a calling. Let us pray. Father, bless our hearts and minds and wills in the truths of